0: Right, so uh, it's Tuesday, we're here, and as always, it's good to see you guys. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here on a bright and sunny day, nonetheless. Um, and so like Corey said, yeah, we've been going through a Watchmen series, and if you've been following through with us, then you know we're about the fourth week in, and we've got like another week to go after this. Um, and it's, it's been really cool, actually, to see uh, a series and to see the theme of a Watchmen throughout the different passages we've been going through. And so that's been really cool to me, and and actually diving into our passage tonight when I was studying for it, it was, uh, I'm encouraged, I think it was really cool, and I'm excited to share this with y'all. But just a a quick word of recap, Uh, the first week we saw our title track, if you will, which was Ezekiel 33, which is the the main passage that we pulled the series from, talking about a watchman, and um, we saw the pictures of a watchman there and pulled pictures out for us to see that, that we're watchmen. And the, the following week, Zach talked about watching with perspective and that, man, we, we got to understand that we're debtors to the lost to watch for their souls. Uh, and last week we saw watching with motivation uh, from Second Corinthians 5, talking about that, that Christ has done so much for us and we owe it to him uh, to be watchmen. And man, we're watching over souls. That's so important. People matter. And so, because of those things, we're going to see tonight that we need to be diligent as watchmen. And so, we're going to w- see about watching with diligence tonight, which is the title. And our main passage will be in is Titus two, eleven through fifteen. Um, but that word diligence—just uh, you, you kind of—you got an idea about what it means. It's like constantly being careful and p- constantly being purposeful and intentional. And I man, that's how we should be living every aspect of our Christian lives, right? Because we've been given a job and a purpose. Uh, We, as Christians, we're set apart, so we should be diligent to fulfill that purpose. Last week, we saw 1 Peter 2.9. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mm -hmm. We're a peculiar people. And I like that phrase. That that word peculiar is peculiar to me. (laughs) You don't You don't come across, at least I don't come across it very often, uh, in just common speech. It's kind of a peculiar word. It's, it's special. Um, but Okay, but look, we're, we're special. Um, we belong to the Lord, and we should be peculiar because we should act like that. And, and in this present world, if we act like that, we're going to stand out. There should be a difference between us and the world. We're set apart from the world. And so that's also true of a watchman because a watchman is a special person, and he has a special job. There's a difference between him and the crowd because of what he does and is supposed to do. So being set apart and living out the difference between us and the world is going to be a theme for us tonight. And in the past week, throughout the series, we've seen in Ezekiel 33, um, that it's kind of, I mentioned, it's our flagship passage tonight about being a watchman. And we're going to look at a couple verses from that quick just with this idea um, of being set apart. And in Ezekiel 33, 1 and 2, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts, and set him for their watchmen. Notice that specific wording. That, that watchman is set. They set him for the watchman. And we saw similar, similarly in verse 7, a little farther down, God talking specifically about Ezekiel. He says, uh, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. So notice that a watchman is set. He's taken out of the crowd and given a specific job. This person now has a new role and new goals that he didn't have before and that no one else has. This guy is unique. He's peculiar. He's set apart. And, okay, being, something being set and being set apart are maybe not identical, but they're very similar. If I, if I set something here it's not here, it's down there. It's set apart from anywhere it's not. And, and, and being set with a specific purpose and in a specific place is unique. And the idea of being set and being set apart is really important. And actually, to explore that importance quickly, I'd, I'd like us to take a look at the first mention um, in the Bible of where something is said to be set. And of course, it's in Genesis, and I, I thought this was really cool. In Genesis 1:14 through 19, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to, to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and in the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Did you catch that? We, get some pretty, we could, could get pretty deep into this, and we're not gonna, we're gonna keep it simple, but God set two great lights in the sky to divide the light from the darkness and to be signs. And you know what? Every person on this planet knows about them. And those things are consistent. They are certainly set apart, they are set above They are guides to the times and the seasons. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? And some of the best pictures we have to enlighten our understanding of God and some awesome doctrinal truths come from them. And we're not going to get into those pictures tonight about the sun and the moon, but I think this raises the bar of our understanding about the importance of something that God sets up for a sign, of which a watchman surely is. And so we've seen in past weeks that just like Ezekiel, we are watchmen. So likewise, we should be set apart from the world because of the specific role and goals that we have associated with that. However, if we're not diligent to fulfill those things, we're going to be bad watchmen, right? We won't be set apart because we'll fit right in with the crowd. So we must be doing what we're doing with diligence to make sure that we're playing a part. So this leads us into our home base tonight at Titus 2, 11-15. through 15. You can flip there if you haven't yet. Um, And while you're doing that, just a quick overview of this book, uh, similarly to 1 Timothy uh, that we saw last last summer. It's a pastoral epistle written to Titus, a young pastor. And Paul leads him there and encourages him to set up leaders uh, because there's people there that are leading others astray. And Paul's exhorting Titus to ordain the right leaders and to teach the right things and to do the right things to be the right example. And that, that gives us a running start into our, our passage tonight. Titus two, eleven through fifteen. Look with me, starting at verse eleven. It Says for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's go before the Lord before we dive into this. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are um, and for what you've done for us. And, man, Lord, you do love us so much, so much so that you left your glory to come down to this planet um, to, to make a way for us to know you. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. It's because of that that, that it's all possible that we could even be here and, and open your word together. Um, I pray that as we do that, that, that you would be our teacher tonight um, and just help us to, to see what we need to see from this passage and help us to apply it to our lives, to be the watchman that you want us to be. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So with the theme tonight of being set apart, We're going to break this passage down into three things that we should be diligent about to make sure that that's true. So the first point is diligently looking. And I know that's deep, right? A watchman has to be watching. He must be using his eyes. He has to be looking. Back from Ezekiel 33, uh, verse 3 says, And if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, we're supposed to be seeing, we're supposed to be looking. And so there's a couple things that we're supposed to be looking for in our passage tonight. And we'll actually start in the middle in verse 13. In Titus 2.13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. As Christians, we need to be constantly looking for Christ's return. Last week, we talked about motivation. Well, Christ's return is certainly motivating for us and should be for everything we do in this life. The great God and our Savior that we serve is coming back someday, sooner than later. So we need to be diligently looking for his return for the day that our faith is made visible, our hope is made manifest, and he gets the glory he deserves. Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3.20 and 21 saying, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we have hope of glory upon Christ's return. Our present mortal vile bodies will be changed forever. And to look at the extent of this glory, in Romans 8, Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us that glory is going to be so much better than what we're dealing with right now and any suffering that we're dealing with right now that it's not even worthy to be compared. That's, that's actually incredible. There's some very real hurt in this world. We all know people that are going through hurt and pain, and some of you have. And it's incredible to think that, that to the level that that hurts, it's not even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's awesome. When that day comes, everything will immediately be different. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. Praise God. In an instant, that's how it will be. The suffering immediately gone and we'll be in a glory that's not even worthy to be compared to it. That is the blessed hope that we should be looking for and that we have to be looking forward to. Did you look for it yesterday? How about, some, how about today at some point? I mean, doesn't the thought that that could be our reality tomorrow change the way we see today? It should. It should. But we should also be looking for his glorious appearing. In 1 John 3, 2-3, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we, sh- but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let the blessed hope that you have in him drive you to action, because it's not about our glory, it's about his We'll be like him because of his glory. So while this blessed hope is awesome and it should motivate us here and now, we're not watchmen because we're looking out for ourselves. There's so much more that his appearing will mean both for us and everyone because we know that he shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom, as 2 Timothy 4.1 says. And while looking for Christ's return, return means hope for you if you're saved here tonight, it also means the judgment is coming. If you're saved, that's the judgment seat of Christ where you'll give an answer for everything you've done after salvation. But we know that there's another judgment. There's judgment on those that are without Christ. And that's why we're watchmen. Because God will judge them. And those found lacking Christ will melt at his glory. This is serious. 2 Peter 3, we see, but the, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night So looking for his glory means we have to take it all into account. God says, For there shall no man see me and live. And in Hebrews, he says, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So when I say that we have to be diligently looking for his glorious appearing, I mean all of his glory, his full glory. And that means we're diligently looking for the judgment that comes with it. They go hand in hand. As a watchman, you need to see the danger that's coming for those that are without Christ. That is the very reason we're watchmen. We're watchmen because there's a very real judgment coming where eternal souls will perish, separated from God forever. Mm-hmm. Yet God doesn't want that to happen. Right. He's graceful. We saw 2 Peter 3.10 and 12. If you back up one verse Second 2 Peter 3.9, I think we're well acquainted with this. It says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Although no man can approach unto his light, God is gracious and doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to respond to the watchman that he places in their lives. All right, so back to the first verse in our passage that we skipped, verse 11. It says for the grace of god that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So first and foremost, we know that the grace of god that bringeth salvation is the gospel, right? The good news that god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, as john 3:16 puts it. God sent his son to this planet to be born of a human and live a perfect life and die on the cross as payment for our sins that separate us from him. And he rose from the grave victorious and invites whosoever will to call upon his name for salvation. So first of all, if you're here tonight and you've never done that, you must consider this tonight. Please don't leave without talking to somebody about that. It's the most important decision you'll ever make for all of eternity. And second, from our passage from that verse, notice that this grace hath appeared to all men. God wants everyone to accept this grace for themselves, and it's available for all. We already saw that he's long-suffering, and and he's prolonging that judgment, waiting so that more people can be saved. And he tells us, like watchmen, to go spread this news. But third, he is drawing all men to himself. In John 12, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Jesus says that if he is lifted up on the cross, And he was. He will draw all men to himself. So, if you're here tonight and you've not accepted Christ as your personal savior, God has brought you here tonight because he's drawing you to himself. He wants you to be saved. And not only you, he wants everyone to be saved. He's drawing them to himself. So, watchmen, let me ask you are you diligently looking for God's grace working in people's lives around you? It has appeared to all men, and he is working. Do you see him in people's lives? Are you praying for those around you to respond? Maybe God's been tugging on the heart of a coworker for the last two weeks because of the circumstances of his life. And he wants you to see that and to see him working in that person's life. He wants you to be aware so that he can strategically use you in that person's life and in the process of drawing them to himself. But you've got to open your eyes first to see it. If you're not diligently looking first, you're never even going to see the opportunities. And so once we see those things, then we can do something about them. And so that's our next point, diligently living. We'll see this in verses 12 and 14. But our passage is short, and I don't want to start in the middle of a sentence, so we'll just start in verse 11 again and get, and read both of those. Uh, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So in summary, verse 12 opens up, telling us that since this grace of God has appeared to everyone, we need to be careful to maintain good works. Paul tells Titus that later in chapter 3. And that's because we see here again that we are to be peculiar people because of what we do. We should be zealous of good works. God didn't call us to be watchmen so that we could see what's going on and then not do anything about it. Just like God didn't provide a salvation to us so that we could then sit around and do nothing. He wants to use us. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, like it says in Ephesians 2.10. So while we need to be doing... We need to be doing the things that we're empowered to do because we're in him. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, we need to forsake our old man and our old ways and our old lives from before we got saved, right? I mean, how can we be different if we're not different? How can we be set apart if we look the same? So our passage tonight talks about some things that we need to stop doing. Look at verse 12. It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Amen. The first thing we see is that we must deny ungodliness. And before we seek to understand what that is, let's acknowledge this. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Notice, this judgment of God is against all ungodliness. As watchmen, we're supposed to be warning people about this coming judgment. So how, how, how could we possibly partake in the very things that we're supposed to be warning against? So what are those things? Well, for starters, notice that this word un- ungodliness in Romans 12 appears with unrighteousness. That's a clue. But obviously, it's the opposite of godliness. It's ungodliness. So I think that the best way to understand ungodliness is simply to understand godliness. And plus, that'll get us ahead for where we're going with this. But the best thing I can think of as an explanation of what godliness is, is found in 1 Timothy 3.16, where Paul tells Timothy and says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seed of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So godliness is God in flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. It's having the qualities of God in you. And so while it certainly contains the idea of doing the right things, it's something greater than only that. It's being the right things. So we're not only talking right versus wrong, but good versus best. When we, when we went through First Timothy last summer, we saw, we saw this word godliness come into play as spiritual fitness. And so if godliness is all of those things, then ungodliness is being the wrong things. And it certainly includes doing the wrong things, right? If godliness is the qualities of God in you, Well, then, ungodliness is the qualities of who in you. If godliness can be described as being spiritually fit, then ungodliness can be described as being spiritually unfit. So, which of those descriptions best fits your life? Are you doing things that Christians shouldn't be doing? Are you settling for good things in your life now instead of the best things God has for you later? Are you spiritually lazy? would you say you're denying ungodliness in your life? Because your actions are either denying the devil or they're denying God. And the next thing mentioned in our passage we should deny is worldly lusts. And coming off of the heels of our first main point about vision, let me exhort you to set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. And don't be distracted from what this world has to offer. We know it's all going to perish anyway, right? Don't lose your focus on that. And give in to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Don't allow yourself to be entangled with the affairs of this life. Paul exhorts Timothy in Second Timothy two: three and four, and he says, "Thou therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." This is the perfect example, because a watchman isn't set during times of peace. He's set during times of war. And we know that we live in a battle in this present day. Every day is spiritual warfare. So if we get distracted from our job, we're not going to accomplish the mission. In the same way that that a watchman who doesn't watch is useless, well, a watchman that forgets his trumpet or abandons his post is also useless. So similarly, your actions are either denying yourself or they're denying God. So we need to acknowledge him in every aspect of our lives which is where this verse is driving, back in verse 12. Our passage says, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Soberly. We talked about this last summer too. It's having a sound mind, being in control of our senses, having a right perspective, and righteously, righteously, doing what is right. And godly, the same idea as godliness, just the word godly is an adjective, whereas the word Godliness is a noun. So godly is something you are because godliness is something you have. So again, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We need to see right so that we can do right, so that we can be right. And that's the point. We're called Christians, right? Christians. We should be like Christ. So we need to be set apart from this present world as his ambassadors and watchmen for it, like we've been talking about in this series. What, what validity will we have if we don't look any different from the world? What change do we expect the world to make if we just look, look just like them? Because if we look like them, then they already look like us. God forbid. Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty three: Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Choose this day whom you will serve. God has set us apart in this present world to be watchmen that are diligent to actually live like it. You need to decide to do whatever it takes today to make yourself look like who you are. What change do you need to make in your life? Because 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Listen, as the watchman, all eyes are upon you as you're set apart up on that hill. But if you unset yourself from that hill, if you come down from off of it with everyone else, no one's going to see you and no one's going to be saved. So Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 2, 11-12, he says, Dearly beloved, I I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they may speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That day of visitation, like we've already talked about, that's why we're watchmen, because judgment is coming. However, our works now might be the difference between people glorifying God in that day or not. And that is a big deal. So how are you living? Are you doing what you should be? Are you plugged into our church? Are you plugged into discipleship? Are you serving? Where are you on the path of growth? Does your outward reality line up with the inward reality as a Christian? I hope so. So as watchmen, even if we are diligently set apart on our hill and looking, if we don't blow the trumpet, then yet still no one's going to be warned and they're going to die. It's simply not enough to see and be doing right. We have to open our mouths. We must speak. And that brings us to our last point, diligently lecturing. And so everything that we've seen so far tonight is coming to a climax at this point. This is the very reason we are watchmen. Let me remind you back to our our title passage in Ezekiel 33. Verse 3, it says, If when he seeth the sword come upon the land he blow the trumpet and warn the people. And again, how the Lord says to Ezekiel in verse 7, it says, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. It's the watchman's job to give warning. So from our passage tonight, Paul says in verse 15, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And in the context of this series, we know we have to speak and to give God's message of warning to the lost. In verse 8 of Ezekiel 33, that message is, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die if you don't turn from your wicked ways. And we know that to be true of every one of us that hasn't believed the gospel. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So people need to know this bad news and warning. And we know that it doesn't end there with only a physical death. I mean, physical is a picture of the spiritual. As terrible as a physical death is, the spiritual is so much more terrible. It's eternal separation from God for forever. In In a place of torment called hell. People need to know that. But praise God that the bad news comes also with the news of of hope. With the gospel. Because, as Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Amen. We've already mentioned John 3.16 tonight. And already seen that the gift of God's Son is payment for our sin. And it's our hope of eternal life. And people need to know that too. And I know that the word lecture in your blank might not seem like the best word at first, although it starts with L, sure. Um, but it kind of, you know, I hear that and think that's got a pretty negative connotation. But man, have you, ever, have you ever had a friend roll your eyes at you whenever you started to share the gospel or the Bible or, or your faith with them? Maybe, maybe they look at you like you're about to lecture them again. Well, then you're doing it right. You should be intentionally speaking to them enough that they're fully aware of what's going on. Yeah, okay, I know there's a balance to everything. We need to maintain our relationships to have influence in their lives, yes. But you should be diligently sharing God's message of warning and corresponding hope to them. I mean, maybe they've even said, quit lecturing me. Well, good job, Christian. That means you're doing your your job as a watchman. And so with the leading of the Holy Spirit, keep it up. You know, maybe you're thinking of somebody specific. Well, I'm talking about that, or or maybe you're not. But, But let me ask you, Whom are you to watch over? In the context of your life, where are you a watchman? I mean, in biblical times, watchmen's watched over the places that they lived in their cities. I mean, if you think about cities had walls, they had towers. You place the watchmen in the towers because those watchmen care about what's inside. They care about that place. They care about those people. I live in New Philly. A lot of you guys do too in the surrounding areas. When it's all said and done, on the day of visitation, who in New Philly will have been warned because of me? Back to the context of our passage. Paul is writing Titus to remind us to speak these things to each other, just as I am speaking them to you now. If we're going to be watchmen that stand out from the crowd, we're going to have to be diligent to keep our focus where it should be and to maintain good works, and to keep our mouths open to each other about it, to encourage each other to keep doing those things. Paul spoke a similar exhortation to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Sometimes we all lose our focus and we fall off the tower and need help climbing back up. We need to be constantly helping each other back up. We need to be helping each other ditch our sin and be faithful to maintain good works. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. We should be taking care of each other, y'all. Because we've already seen, we're all going to have to answer for God someday at the judgment seat of Christ. So by matter of wrapping this up, we skip the last part of verse 15 in our passage. It says, Let no man despise thee. This matter of a watchman is a big deal because there's power in the words that we decide to speak or not. Zach mentions Proverbs 18.21 a couple of weeks ago, and it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. There are real consequences to every word we choose to speak or to hold in. The words that we speak can cause division. They can cause others to stumble or be offended. Or they can cause people to reconcile, to grow, to be encouraged. And as so many people's eternities still depend on our obedience to speak the gospel to them. Since that's the case, we better be diligent to do it and to speak it. Back to Ezekiel 33 quick. It says, verse 8, says, when I, speak, or when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at your hand, at thine hand. And now, Corey showed us the limitations of this idea. But the fact that there are still consequences remains. The last thing you want is for a loved one to despise you for all of eternity, because of your unwillingness to share the gospel with them. Because they knew that you knew, and you didn't tell them. We must be diligent watchmen. As such, don't be a watchman like Lot, if you're familiar with the story of Lot, living in Sodom and Gomorrah. His life was so screwed up that when he finally did blow the trumpet, no one believed him. He wasn't set apart he had no hill. So no one believed that he could see anything and virtually no one listened to him. He didn't even save all of his own family. So I'll leave you with one final verse as a word of encouragement. Deuteronomy 28.1 It says, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, Ultimately, yeah, we'll have better rewards and a better position in the millennium, yeah. But here and now, the more obedient that we are to Christ and to do these things, the better watchmen we'll be. I want to be a watchman with a high vantage point because that's the best view, the best chances of seeing. And the highest vantage point we can have on this planet now is a spiritual view. And the highest platform we can have among the world is to be obedient to the Lord. So be diligent to have the right sight so you can maintain the right works so you can proclaim the right message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you care enough to use us. Frequently, we mess things up and we don't get it right, but you're so gracious to us that you want to use us anyway. And, it, and, and it's a miracle that, that you have a perfect plan and you can use imperfect pe- people to accomplish a perfect plan. And we're so thankful that you're willing to do that. It's probably more work for you. But thank you so much. And thank you so much for sending Watchmen to each and every one of our lives that, that know you tonight, that, that shared your message of warning and, and good news to us. Lord, we're so grateful for that. It's because of that that we know you. And I pray that, that we would we would use that as motivation to go and be diligent to live the lives that we're supposed to live and to see you, to see you every day and to know that you're coming back and, and to warn those around us that don't know you. Help us to open our mouths and to speak boldly and, and to, to step through the doors that you open in our lives. Give us the grace to be able to do that <coughs> and the boldness. Thank you for the well in this place. And this room full of watchmen, I pray that, that together we can follow you better and better every day. We pray that you're glorified through this next song. Amen.